You're listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. Brian is an attorney who represents startups, nonprofits, arts organizations, and people who work in the creative industries. As an arts entrepreneur, Brian is the founder and CEO of Performing Arts Live, a Pennsylvania nonprofit corporation dedicated to creating and supporting live performance opportunities for jazz and electronic artists. Its flagship program is the Allentown Jazz Fest. Brian is a TEDx speaker, a Grammy voter, and jazz musician. Creative Confidential begins now. Today, we're joined on the podcast by Fred Morrison, the executive director of Crossman Productions Incorporated. Fred. How are you doing, Brian? Um, I'm doing great, and I really appreciate uh, you taking uh, a little bit of time out of your day to, to talk to us. I know that you and the organization are in, are in high gear getting ready uh, to go out on the summer tour. And uh, I, I know what these, having been in, in Crossman for a while myself, I, I know exactly uh, where you are in the in the schedule. So uh, I really appreciate your time today. No worries. Yeah, we have, we're in right at the start of three weeks of spring training, which is our everyday um, training that we get our production on the field and get ready for our 60-day summer tour. So for some of our listeners we I, I suspect we have a lot of drum corps people or or people that are somewhat familiar with it you know it used to be on public television uh in august when when the nationals championship would come up you used to see it on public tv at least in the northeast uh and then espn2 carried uh carried the events for for a while uh and now it's gone to a different sort of format with the um uh, with with the, the the live simulcast in the theaters, uh, but tell people a little bit about you know sort of from thirty thousand feet up in the air, you know what Crossman Productions does. Uh, Crossman Productions' primary program as a nonprofit is the Drum and Bugle Corps. The history of the Crossman is they started. This is our forty second season. Uh, we take 150 young people on the road every summer for 60 days. They're between the ages of 16 and 21. About half of the core plays a brass instrument. About 40 of the members play percussion, either marching percussion, which we call battery, snares, tenor drums, bass drums, cymbals. And then we have the front ensemble, which is uh, fixed battery, marimbas, vibraphones, things like that, and maybe a synthesizer or two. Uh, then the balance, the color to our performance is the color guard, and they typically spin flags, uh, sabers or rifles, and and uh, and they dance. And it's a pretty dramatic 11 minutes. And we spend this three weeks per, uh, perfecting that performance and then the balance of the tour uh, working on making it the best possible thing that we can have that culminates at our championships at Lucas Oil Stadium each year. Uh, there'll be about 40 groups, and we perform three different performances hopefully that week, uh, culminating with championships. And it's a great ride. It's a tremendous experience for these young folks. They, I challenge uh, them to find anything that will push them to their limits as much as this activity will. Uh, some of them we've had go into the military, and they tell me that uh, boot uh, drum corps is harder than boot camp. So that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of 
how tough this is and how hard they're working over the course of the total of 80-something days. Well, and, and while even though we're in the, the three-week uh, run up to opening night, your, your planning cycle is 12 months out of the year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we start, uh, we hit the ground two weeks after uh, uh, championships are over with the design team meeting. Uh, any, it's almost like silly season that you see in, in NASCAR or in major sports where you're changing your different caption heads, which, uh, you know, trying to make your team stronger and better with uh, better instructors or better designers. And that that happens right away. Sometimes it happens even before the season is over. And then we start our recruiting. Uh, we'll audition over 900 people each each year and to fill those 150 positions. Uh, there are three camps that we have in and around Thanksgiving, one in Dallas, one in Houston, one in San Antonio. And this year we added another one uh, for color guard and percussion in Canton, Ohio. And that distills down to the December camp, which we may get 450, 500 of those 900 will make it to the next round. And then we hone that down to the 150 plus alternates uh, that we moved in uh, last week for spring training. During the the audition process, as you're narrowing the the field of potential performers, um, how often are you getting the kids or the students or the performers rather? Uh, how often are you getting the performers together? Once a month? Usually once a month for brass, definitely. Percussion, uh, they have some uh, winter guard or winter percussion groups. So the percussionists tend to not meet during, uh, say, February and March when the brass is here. And the color guard typically will meet with them in December. We'll contract about half of them, and then they'll come back in April, and we'll fill the rest of those positions at the April camp. And so they're all they're busy. The percussionists and the guard are busy doing other things, and the brass, uh, they're coming here. And we also have online assignments where – they're working between the camps, and the, the teachers are measuring their performance and their progress, trying to get them to be in the best possible shape and the best playing condition. So when they hit the ground here in late May, you know we were at, we have a good head start on things. Well, I was yeah the the ability to reach people across distance because you're you're you draw your membership. I mean, I'm sure you have a large contingent of your members that are from Texas or, or from the South at least, but you also have members from other parts of the country. Yes. The core, the core has a unique history. And when you marched in the core, the core was based in Pennsylvania and a majority of the folks were from the tri-state area up there. We, we moved the core to San Antonio, Texas in September of 2006 and from that point, we started to see more and more Texans audition for the Corps. So our membership will be over 100 members from Texas and then about 14 other states that kind of surround the area. And there's still some Northeast folks that will make the trip, second generation. We have a symbol player this year that his dad marched in the Corps in the, in the 80s, and, and his son is now 
marching here and, and they're really proud of that. We have a member, a couple of members from Japan. We'll get a, you know, members. We have a member from England. Uh, we'll tend to get membership from Canada and, and other countries in Europe too. Uh, on top of the, you know, the English member that we have this year, we've had members from Italy and France and from Germany. So it's quite a mixed bag and it's pretty interesting process and to watch these kids come from strangers to this finely oiled machine is pretty amazing journey and really fun for me to watch and watch it develop well that's that's a great point you know you you we'll talk a little bit about the particulars of you know why this is such a brother and sisterhood is you are literally on top of one another uh, for, you know, when you go on, on tour for, it's uh, like a 10-week swing, you know, you are essentially living on a bus. They're nice buses, but still, uh, you have a lot of people in, in a very close proximity to one another. Um, so to get all of those cultural, you know, different influences um, must really be interesting to watch kind of, you know, uh, mixed together. Um, is kind of even totally independent of the... Um, of the performance. Yes. The the lessons learned here go way beyond the education of being a better musician and a better performer in the color guard world. Uh, it's, you know, dealing with problems, dealing with issues with each other, getting to know each other, problem solving. It's hard. It is, you know, 12 hour days for 80 days. And a good bit of that time is spent, you know, at night you're sleeping on the bus for maybe five or six hours and we pull into a housing site, which is typically a high school somewhere in the country. And they pull their air mattresses and their suitcases out and set up their air mattress on the gym floor, sleep for about three hours. And next thing you know, they're right back at work. Uh, typically with you know, a little physical fitness, maybe they're running a mile and, and stretching and everything before their first block. They'll have three blocks that day, uh, split up by a meal in between. And that's a typical rehearsal day. And then on a show day, they'll have two blocks. And then we'll go off to the, wherever the show site would happen to be, do our performance about 10 o'clock, 10.30, whatever. We hop on the buses heading to the next venue. So it's pretty intense time. There's not a whole lot of free time. They may get a free day or two during the course of the 60-day tour, but... The rest of the time, it's hard work. Well, no doubt about that. I mean, to to, un, to unpack what you just said, um, you know, setting aside the the off season workouts and the the spring you know spring training as it has come to be uh, known, which is like the three week everyday rehearsal. Um, when when this ensemble goes on the road. Um, they're, these kids are working basically 12 hours a day and it's, it's a mental, um, activity. It is a very physical activity as well. And it's, it's something that really, I think, strengthens an individual in every conceivable way. Um, I mean, I know for now that I am older and have a little bit more perspective, you know, all of my good work habits came from what I learned in this activity. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent sure of that. And I know other people that have said, uh, 
that have also said that. Um, maybe if you could speak to that a little bit. I, I hear it every day from alumni. There, there were approximately 3,800 folks that have marched through this corps over the course of the 42 years. There's a number of them that still stay in touch. They come around, they volunteer because they want to give back because, you know, they want to help, uh, keep the thing alive because someone else did that for them. And they will always tell me just how it changed their lives and how they learned how they have no limits. The limits are all self-imposed. You learn from this activity, you can do things way, way, way beyond what you think uh, before you get started. And it, it's it's pretty fun to see that happen and see people come to that realization. The first year is tough. Uh, they, they don't know how they survive it. And then the second year... It's kind of old hat. They're, they're used to it. They know what it takes, and they just keep getting better at it year after year after year. And those life lessons stick with them forever. And, you know, a lot of the – about half these folks are going to be band directors somewhere, but then there's also folks that go into medicine or uh, engineering and accounting and whatever, and those life lessons stick with them on in those career paths that they choose to. Well, then, it, it – and it sometimes takes a little bit of of you know perspective to to figure out how to apply the skill set to other disciplines but you know I, I found that um like in my own case you know my my biggest challenge after drum corps probably was was law school and the you know the the time that one had to put in didn't feel like it was that huge of an obligation because i was used to it from uh, drum corps. I mean, you know, again, you know, you have, you wake up at eight in the morning, you know, you have three rehearsal blocks or you've got a show or you're traveling five or 600 miles to the next, uh, to the next housing site. And you just get used to being, being able to function at a high level and be on the go all the time. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, most people don't consume their days like that. <laughs> most people have three or four hours where they're hanging out doing, you know, something that's relaxing. And these kids are not relaxing. They are just thinking about the next block and the next rehearsal and the next performance and how do I perfect it? And you can apply that to any activity, any, any career path, any chosen field. Well, tell us a little bit about getting – so when I was in the work world, you know, when I came back uh, – so this activity uh, in the division that the crossmen are in, when you turn – is it age 21 or 22 now? It's it's 21, but if you have a birthday that's June 1st or later, you can actually be 22 until the end of that season, which is mid-August. Okay. So, so there's a handful of folks that are 22. So so you get to that age limitation and then you're not eligible. This is sort of like a, the NCAA might be a good analog, an analogous uh, situation. But in any event, um, so you reach the maximum age limit and then, you know, you go into the work world or, or what have you. I never found a good way to explain what I was doing all this time when I was in an office setting, I used to just tell people I was in the circus because I thought it was the closest, <laughs> I thought it was the closest analogy. 
Um, and people would just go, you know, without, you know, in a typical office environment, people would look up and go, okay, whatever. Um, but you're, you're on a tour. How many stops do you have this year? How many performances? We're, we have 27 shows and approximately 32 performances because we do have a couple of standstills that aren't competitions and we do a couple of fourth of July parades. Uh, we, we will, this year we'll be in Bristol, Rhode Island for, I think this is the 230th year mm-hmm. that parade has been in existence and we'll be marching that parade and then we go from that parade to Wakefield, which is a little bit north of Boston and march another parade. And, you know, that's, that's, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a, well, it's quite a lot. And, you know, yeah. to, to mobilize all of, um, all the people and equipment, you know, this is not something where everyone's driving themselves. Everyone travels together. So you've got what two, you have two 18 wheelers. What, what is the, yes. what does the, what does the convoy look like when you guys are going down the road? Well, right now we have 10 vehicles. We have four charter buses, two tractor trailers. One is a kitchen truck that prepares 800 meals a day. That's a pretty interesting uh, thing in itself. Then we have an equipment truck that hauls all the uniforms and all the instruments. We This year we'll have a, uh, a pickup truck that will haul a 20-foot trailer, which will have props in it and a little rhino that pulls our our vehicle or some of our pit equipment on the field 15 passenger van two rvs uh one for the caption heads and uh the design team and the other one for the administrative folks which functions as our touring office uh our business center and i'm trying to think if i missed anything oh a sous vide wagon and a box truck a souvenir trailer is about 20 foot and it's stocked full of t-shirts and hats and all kinds of things that we will sell at each of the events that we perform at. And that helps us uh, fund the core a little bit. And that pretty much is it. And during the course of the tour, how many miles are you, is, is the whole group traveling? This year it's about 12,000. Our 15-passenger van will probably do 20,000 miles because it does a lot of errands during the day and picks people up and takes them to the airport, that kind of thing, as mm-hmm. staff members come in and out. But our point-to-point mileage is about 12000 So just to get, you know, just to get people physically from where they need to go to, that ha- I would think from a budgetary, you know, putting my administrative hat on, um, from a budgetary standpoint, transportation and fuel has to be a killer. I mean, how much, in, budget-wise, what, is that, what does that look like for you? Well, uh, we, we like to, we figure it's about a gallon per mile. It's a good round number to use. So you figure it's 12,000 gallons and depending upon how many, uh, you know, how many miles we go, uh, or what, I'm sorry, what the fuel price is, I should say, you know, that's gotten a little bit easier. Uh, when we went to California that year, it was about four fifty a gallon for diesel fuel. Yeah, we had a, there was uh, a couple can, of tough years there. Yeah, right. And now it's gotten better, but you know this thing goes up and ebbs and flows. It'll be back up three, four dollars a gallon probably in the next couple of years. But so you're talking about between forty and sixty thousand dollars for fuel. Food wise, generally it's twelve hundred dollars a day to feed two hundred people, 
and you know, eighty-one days, you know, hundred thousand dollars for you know food, and you know, we have instructional staff and design team, and the props and the uniforms and all the supplies and equipment and everything that it takes to make this thing happen. But with the you know the salaries that we have and. You know, having you have to run this thing year round, so you're doing other things the rest of the time that that you know some generate money and some cost money. Our budget has is around a million two a year, counting everything. Well, and it's it's it astounds me that you can accomplish all of what you just described. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, a million dollars is a ton of money, but with yep. all of the demands on the organization. Um, that that's uh, it's a that's you know well uh, I I don't know what to say other than it it really impresses me that uh, that you can you can get everybody down the road and keep everybody healthy and take care of all the things you need to do with with that uh, you, you know with that yeah, constraint. Yeah, you know, a lot of that has to do with this out of the kindness of people's hearts. There's a lot of people that volunteer their time and energies. There are people that will come on the road during the course of the summer to drive some of our smaller vehicles where they'll fly themselves into a point. They'll give up their vacation of a week or two and drive that vehicle at night and then hop on an airplane and fly back home. And they do it for the love of it. Then a lot of the staff folks too, they're, they're not, there's nobody getting rich here, uh, teaching the drum corps, but you know, they may be covering a few expenses, but they're doing it because somebody did it for them and, they love doing it for someone else. And it's really, um, it's a charitable contribution on their part, but an awesome experience that they're having and they're, they're providing for these young people. Yeah. It, it's really extraordinary to think of, you know, of the case of someone who is volunteering to drive. So they're paying, you know, on their own dime, they're getting on a plane, hooking up with, with the, with the group, wherever you are. So you may be in, you know, Sioux city, Iowa or someplace. I'm going to connect up with you and drive for a week. Those trips may be 300 miles one night, you know, 200 the next 500 the day after that. And then you may have a travel day, which is, you know, even, even longer. It's a, it's a really grueling uh, or, or can be a very grueling uh, experience. Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend of mine who is now on our board of directors, and Dave was in the military for 34 years. He was a three-star general in the Air Force. So he's had lots of experiences uh, on a lot of different things and commanded lots of folks. Well, he, he's at a point in his life where I just want to help. I, I, don't, I just don't want to be in charge of anything. I just want to come on and help. And, so I convinced him that a week would be probably all he would really want to do this for, <laughs> and because the sleep deprivation and everything else, yeah. he he comes in and he washes pots and pans for a solid week, and travels at night with us. And usually it's the swing from San Antonio to Atlanta, and then he gets himself back home uh, to San Antonio after the Atlanta regional. And there, and he's one story of many. Uh, and and we love having those folks around. They love being around our young people because they're just such a great group of folks. They're real polite and pleasant and hardworking, and it's just a really good environment. How many how many volunteers in the course of of any average season? How many volunteers do you have coming in and out of the group on from the well, from the I'm, admin side? Yeah, 
Yeah, typically we'll have about 15 folks with us at any given time. So the numbers of people will depend upon how long those folks will stay on. We have some people that just come for a day, and then we have others that typically will come on for a week tour. And God bless them, there's some people that will come on for the entire time. You know, I, I just don't know how they do it, but some of them are teachers, so they have the summer off, and they'll hop on and stay till the end. And that's a pretty remarkable group, too. So the, the number varies, but we have a need of about 15 people to be able to fill all the positions that we require, about a half a dozen on food crew, some drivers, some people that can sew, and some handy folks that can maybe weld or bolt things together, that kind of thing. Well, that takes us to the the next question, which is, so I assume that you have someone on staff who coordinate, just coordinating the volunteers and scheduling everybody and logistically making sure people are on site and not on site when they need to be. Uh, someone has to be tasked with, with doing that. We do have a volunteer coordinator. Her name is Chelsea Stemmett. And she marched drum corps for three or four years herself. She has a little bit of a unique story in that her parents met at the Crossman in the late 70s, early 80s. Her, her parents uh, are continuing to be contributors to the Crossman, but um, they will come to History Night, and, and it's a pretty interesting story that Chelsea is a second-generation Crossman, basically. And we have a few others like that. Well, that's phenomenal. And, hist- and hist- mm-hmm. History Night is a is a thing that happens... Describe that for people who don't know what what you're referring to. Yeah, usually about the second week of spring training, Friday night rehearsal, we'll have, after the rehearsal, we have a a panel of alumni that will be there from each each of the decades, and they will tell the the kids and whoever's there just what it was like for them, you know, relay some of their experiences and how it's the same and how it's different. And it's really fun for the current group of crossmen to hear what it was like to be pushing the buses in 1978 or whatever because they were riding New Jersey transit buses and not these nice cushy vehicles that we happen to have today. Um, you know, it's all kinds of stories. And, uh, you know, every day is an adventure here and every day is different. So you can imagine some of the things that may or may not happen over the course of time. It's well, good to hear that. Well, as somebody who is in your role, I'm sure that you have to be light on your feet in terms of, I don't want to say crisis management, but the, the range of issues that pop up, logistical and otherwise, um, it, it, you know, it's this, the job that you have is not for everybody. I'm, I'm, I'll put it that way, I'm sure. Um, how did you, how did you come to be the executive director? Of this nonprofit, it, it's a very strange story because it's not the typical path. Uh, I was I was into racing and race cars when I was in high school, and that is how I ended up in the racing fuel business. And dude, I was in my early twenties, and two of us built a really good company, a thirty-five million dollar a year company with a hundred employees and selling products all over the planet. In July of two thousand six. I sold my ownership to my business partner, and three months later, we were offered the Crossman. Uh, the band director at my kids' high school uh, was helping with some program coordination at 
group that had control of two drum corps. The Crossman was one of them. The next phone call was, would you be interested in taking over the Corps? They, they were losing money each year and it was getting harder and harder for them to justify taking care of two groups. So they figured the best way would be to find someone that could take over the Crossman and keep it alive. We said we'd take it. Two weeks later, I'm driving a tractor. I have a CDL, so I'm driving a tractor to Pennsylvania to bring back the food truck. Next thing you know, we have a camp, and there's 300 people here in San Antonio auditioning at Ronald Reagan High School. So it, I would have never drawn it up this way. Uh, I always had an interest because of my kids' interest in band. But this is definitely a different world, but fun. And But I think the 30 years of being in the race field business uh, helped me prepare for this job, too. So it, it's a labor of love. And um, my wife, Maureen, and I have really come to enjoy it. And the, the, probably the best thing about the whole thing are the young people that we're involved with. Uh, they just make this whole thing worthwhile. Well, the the difference between the for-profit world and the non-profit world is pretty huge. I mean, I mean, some things in terms of, you know, leadership and motivation and recruitment and, and the, you know, are, are similar. But, you know, from a from a, you know, when you're in a for profit business, you're more you're concerned with capitalization and, you know, managing investors. Uh, when you're in the nonprofit world, it's a it's a different kind of tempo where you've got foundations and individual donors and maybe corporate sponsors to deal with. Uh, maybe could, can you speak a little bit to, to that part of the transition for you? Yeah, I'm going to say in a, in a way, because probably because of the nature of the business that I was involved in, where competition was a daily thing, our customers were competing every day on the racetrack. So there are some similarities in a way. There are sponsor relationships. There's you have to raise money if you have a race car. Well, you have to raise money in order to be able to fund your drum corps too. So if you ask me 15 years ago what I would do if I sold the company, I would have told you, "Oh, I'm going to start a racing team and I'm going to travel around the country." This is all of that and more, and so that's where the similarities are. Uh, I I would say nonprofits are tough if you don't have. They're all powered by people and money. If you are lacking in any one of those areas, it's going to be a tough road. We're very, very fortunate to have a, a real good history and some very generous people that want to keep the Crossman alive. So that that's a good thing. And the moving it to Texas was probably the best thing that could have happened because now there's a whole bunch of folks, because there was not a world-class group in the state of Texas, that now have access to this great activity. And, and as we have been here and and shown our, our worth, more and more people have come out to the core, and all of that helps keep, keep this thing alive. So, you know, it's definitely about keeping one eye on making sure that you're generating money to be able to power this thing, uh, and then also staying true to your mission, which is providing this wonderful experience for these young people. So... Crossman, as I think we, as we have hinted at, and I, I think people have, have figured this out by now, is a 501. It is a tax-exempt organization, right? Yes, 501c3, uh, youth development organization. 
and any donations, uh, you know, provided they comply with the, the 501c3 rules are tax deductible. Uh, you can, if you're interested in getting involved, we encourage you to go to www.crossman.org and, and check out our website and some of the things that we do. And if you would like to volunteer, we, we'd love to have you. And obviously, if you would like to uh, make an online donation, we take that and put it to good use, probably put some fuel in one of the trucks or buy some food with it. And we also will accept checks, and the mailing address is there on the website. All of those things help to contribute to keeping this thing alive and, and growing and progressing and providing the experience that we provide. And on the podcast's webpage where Fred's episode will be or is detailed, um, I'll have links to uh, those things that, that Fred just referred to uh, so that it's a little bit easier for people to get kind of we – have, we have some listeners who know exactly what we're talking about. And then we've got some that uh, may not be too sure, but we'll go to go to the podcast website at creativeconfidential.net. And when you click on Fred Morrison's episode, you'll see we'll, we'll put some video up there uh, as well. So w- talk to me a little bit before I know you uh, have to go shortly, but let's maybe touch on what the production is this year. If uh, if if we can, well, we haven't we haven't released a whole lot, and our first public performance will be June seventeenth at Heroes Stadium here in San Antonio. But the name of the the title of the show is Continuum, and you can check that out in the dictionary, and that'll give you a good idea of, of you know what approach we're going to take to things. The music is all original music that's written by Andrew Marcourt. Um, Andrew has done our arranging the last three or four years. Uh, he started out doing a front ensemble arranging and then did the front ensemble and the battery. And then a couple of years ago, he did one of the brass tunes and now he's doing the whole enchilada, which is kind of nice. It makes it very well integrated. And, uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the performances that we do. So Continuum is the name of the show and original music by Andrew Morcourt is probably the, quickest way to summarize what we're about to do that is very that is very cryptic i mean nowadays there's no mystery about anything um with with you know with with instagram and and the way that all of the organizations and we should say in so in the governing uh organization that crossman is a part of it's called uh, drum corps international which is another nonprofit. they're based in what indianapolis Yes, they are. They're in Indy. So there are other organizations like the Crossman sprinkled throughout the U.S. and in Europe and Canada and elsewhere. Um, And it used to be that you never knew until you got into the competitive season. And this is like, you know, early 90s even. um, You know, you didn't know what the productions were. There was not there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram. Facebook didn't exist yet. And you were kind of finding out with the fans what the other groups were up to. Um, so I think it's a pretty cool approach to not, uh, not overplay your hand, uh, so to speak before, uh, you know, in, in, in the, in the past, we have arranged music that was written and performed by other, uh, artists. And then we would have it arranged for drum corps. Uh, this year's quite different for us in that Andrew is 
the creative mind behind it. So it'll be interesting to see how people respond to it, but we're pretty excited about it. If you want to sneak into a rehearsal, they're open uh, at Hero Stadium, so you can come by and, and check it out. But we're not going to tell the world a whole lot until June 17th and when we get uh, through our first public performance. Where, where is the first show? The first public performance is at Hero Stadium in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, it's the one of the two stadiums that Northeast Independent School District has here. And it's our spring training housing site also. All right. Well, everybody that uh, I hope if you if you know what we're talking about, I hope you're excited for uh, the drum course season to start for for the people that are in the um, in the activity or our alumni. This is a it is a little bit like the feeling when spring training starts for for baseball, it's like you know spring is here uh, because baseball is coming back. Well, for, for the for us, it's uh, that summer is here because drum corps starting up, and um, it's a great time of year. It always uh, it's always something I look forward to. And if uh, you're, you're you are coming up through the Northeast uh, towards the end of the uh, touring season, I think uh, late July, early August. Yeah, actually, we're we're going to be up in the Northeast on so two different swings. It's almost as if we're running doing two circles in the eastern part of the country because we're at Allentown in June, and then we late June and we swing up into New England. We're in the Boston area, you know, for the parades. Then we go down through the South, and we'll be in Florida. There's three events in Florida this year. That'll be fun. We haven't been there in a couple of years, anyway. And then we come back to San Antonio, and then from San Antonio, we'll head to Austin, and then, or I'm sorry, Atlanta, and then from Atlanta, we head to, up towards Allentown again. And after Allentown, we head to championships, and all of this over the course of the 60 days. It's it's definitely one of the more interesting ways to see the country. Uh, you know, I, I think that's an understatement, because you see a lot of parts of... Uh, you know, the U.S. that you would not ordinarily, uh, you know, see in the tour books. So, um, you know, I, I can't speak highly enough about the work you're doing and Maureen and the entire staff there, uh, keeping keeping the organization thriving. And, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, nationwide is, I think, improving the lives of thousands of uh, young people. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's very, it's worthy of your support. So, uh, Check out uh, Fred's page, and we'll we'll link to where you can go donate to help the Crossmen and uh, help Fred get the uh, group down the road. Fred, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, and uh, I know you about to have about a thousand things to do today. So uh, we'll. Uh, we'll yeah, I don't know if you can hear the. I don't know if you can hear the fun ensemble rehearsing in the background, but <laughs> we heard it's a challenging environment. Yeah, here. we heard a little bit. I figured that's what uh, what was going on. So, but uh, Fred, thank you right. again, and uh, can't wait to see you guys when you come up uh, up uh, in the Northeast. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for all your support, and thank you and your staff for making this happen. We appreciate it, and can't wait to hear it. All right. Thanks very much. Take care. Good luck. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Confidential with Brian Tuck. To have Brian consult for your arts organization or public speaking engagements, or if you have legal matters you want to discuss, 
contact him at tucklaw.com. That's T-U-K-Law.com. For future episodes, please subscribe to Creative Confidential on iTunes or visit us at creativeconfidential.net. This has been a Steve Mittman social media creation. Creation. Steve Mittman, socialmedia.com. 